Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Okay, um, man, I got a lot to compete with. Root beer floats, uh, there's a barbecue outside. How in the world I'm going to keep your attention, I'm not sure. But uh, hopefully I can do that. I'm, uh, I have to admit that uh, whenever I start to tell my family, my son's a story, I put them out in five minutes or less. I um, can remember specifically them asking me as we're pulling out on one of our family adventures, uh, you know, Dad, where'd they, where'd they get the name like Field Trip? How do they call it Field Trip? And I started explaining stuff, saying, well, you know, historically, uh, you know, there was this there's this time where people actually went out into the fields. I was making stuff up. I had no clue. And, uh, and then I look in the rearview mirror, and they are out. They are out cold. So I pray that I don't do that to you today. Um, hey, Brett, does, do you sanitize this after John uses it? Because it's like, I just want to make sure this is clean. It's really close to my ear and my, my mouth. So, <laughs> all right. Um, Johnny had asked me actually last year if I would share, um, share this story with you. And, uh, and I, it, it just didn't work out last year for us in the schedule. So I'm really honored to, to share this story. Um, I'm kind of an unlikely person to be up here sharing today. But except for God's grace and the growth that he's produced in my life uh, because of him, it all points toward him. It, it doesn't point toward me at all. Just a couple cautions. I just like to, I don't know, caution's not the right word. A couple notes. One thing would be, this story that I want to share with you today is just one slice of the life for Liz and I and, and the, the boys and our family over the last three years. I, I've shared this story with a lot of you. My life share, um, you know, our life share group, they probably heard it. And I've, you know, several times and I've talked to several people within the church. Um, but... I get to share it with all of us together today. Uh, as I share with you today, it's my prayer that you will you'll interject your story into this story. Whatever God has for your life right now, big or small, the challenges in your life, no matter what they are, the dry places, the deserts, I just ask that you interject your story and combine it with this story and how God was faithful to me. So most importantly... This is about, it's, it's not even about me in this story. It's about a loving and a faithful God who meets us in our deserts and meets us in the challenges of our lives. So here's the first challenge. This is August 2009. All right, that's where we're going to go back to through the fall. I turned 50 and everything fell apart, okay? Everything fell apart at 50. I always heard that it might do that, but I didn't know it was going to fall apart. My health started going. Um, first of all, when you turn 50, they like, they give you this reward card and it's like, hey, you turned 50. They're so excited. You know what? Here, you can have your colonoscopy now. Congratulations. Like that's some sort of gift. So I took it and, you know, did what I was supposed to do. But I started to lose some of my health. I, I started to lose my appetite. And when I lose my appetite for pizza, something's definitely wrong. I started to become really impatient with what seemed to be really trivial things and superficial things in life. I started to pull away socially from people. 
Uh, there was a time when I wasn't sleeping, which is huge because I love to sleep. But even when I'd fall asleep, I'd wake up at 2 o'clock and then it was over. It was done. And I'd have to go to work the next day on just a couple hours. That was different for me. And then when I did wake up, I was dizzy and my heart was racing. I was having a harder time at work. I started shaking. I, I couldn't get warm. Uh, and the worst was I, I couldn't breathe. I just, I, I just couldn't get my breath. I remember uh, at one point, one of, the, one of my colleagues at work, her daughter goes to the same school as Josiah, and I remember uh, hearing about Josiah asking her daughter, you know, do you, do you know what's wrong with my dad? You know, do you know what's going on with my dad? Asking his friend at school. Thought maybe, maybe she could shed some light on what's going on. We went to the movie Christmas Carol. This was into, De- into December now. Uh, it just come out. And um, through that movie, I just found myself not able to breathe. Ryan leaned over next to me and was like, Dad, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, fine. But I wasn't. I just I couldn't breathe. By the time we got home, I was like, Liz, you know, take me to the hospital. I just, you know, I just don't understand what's going on. Went to the hospital, and you know what they do. You know, they poke you, and they hook you up, and they're giving you all kinds of stuff and pumping stuff in you. They don't want you to be having a heart attack on them. That led to staying the weekend and ended up getting with an angiogram. Angiogram turned out to be good. The news was good. So as I went back to my room... Um, and actually, you know, bless my mom and dad, you know, they they were in their 80s, they're well into their 80s now. <laughs> so they came and they drove all the way from Michigan just to be there with me through that process. And it was awesome to have them there. And as we went back to the room, I remember I just couldn't, couldn't get my breath. And I remember mom asked me, she was like, I remember saying, you know, she was like, hey, you're good. There's good results. And I just... I was just like, I know, but why am I shaking and why can't I breathe? Something's wrong inside of me. And that's when my mom said, well, your sister and I were talking and we wondered if, if maybe, maybe this wasn't some form of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'm like, I didn't, Ma, you know, I know there's seven kids, but I'm not one of them that went to the army, okay? I didn't go. Did you forget that? She says, no, I, I think that this might be related to the accident. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, remember the accident back in June? So you're all going, what's he talking about? So now let's go back to June 2009. And in June 2009, uh, was a, had been a really rough couple of years in this, as an assistant principal. Had to let a couple people go. So I was really looking forward to a break. I was really looking forward to getting away with my family and our extended family on the Griffin reunion, which was going to be in West Virginia. Looking forward. That's a good time. And we, we're a weird group. You know how your family reunions are. You could tell me some of your stories. We got those really weird stories. And our ideas of fun are just, um, you know, they're so simple. Blades of grass and we're all standing outside and, you know, blowing through blades of grass and singing songs with our blades of grass. Weird stuff, okay? Weird stuff. Um, But it was, my need for respite was partially met during that time. Had a great time and I thought, I can go back now. Summer school's starting. And as we left that day, 
pulled out with Liz and the boys, started going up a hill in, the, in West Virginia there. I started going up one of the hills, and I noticed that there was this, this red truck that had, uh, that had gone off on our side, gone across the road, and was going down kind of a, a hill, not a steep hill, but an embankment. And as I looked through the rearview mirror, it went down, and I saw, I saw that he went into a ditch. And um, so I pulled off the side of the road, and I turned around, and Ryan was like, Dad, where are you going? It's like, well, we should turn around and you know, check on this guy. He might have had a seizure, might have been diabetic, something. Let's go check on him. Let's make sure he's okay. You know, in my mind, God, God sort of hard, hardwired me that way. I really like to do things like that for people, you know, check and make sure he's okay, help them with their car. I have no clue how to fix a car, but try to help them call somebody who can fix a car. I like to do that kind of stuff. And besides, this is kind of heroic, you know, let's go back and help them out. Went back, pulled off to the side of the road, and, uh, and as I got out of our van and started to walk over, um, I saw that he wasn't okay. He wasn't okay. He was slumped over. It was a young man. It was a young juvenile corrections officer that uh, was in his uniform and slumped over the, the steering wheel and it was, was bleeding badly from his head and from his nose. And, and uh, so I saw he wasn't okay and I called 911 right away and I hoped that in the hills of West Virginia that somehow it could get somewhere and I'd be able to get an ambulance on the way. They figured out, I tried to describe where I was. They kind of knew where I was. And uh, so they decided to, you know, get somebody sent out to us. In the meantime, I'd gone up to the, to the truck and tried to just talk to the young man. You know, just, you know, it's okay. Help, you're going to be okay. Help is on the way. I just want you to know you're going to be all right. Um, you know, are you, are you a diabetic? And his eyes were closed and he was slumped over the steering wheel, but he was able to shake his head, yes or no. And he was like, no, I'm not a diabetic. You know, shaking his head, no. Did you, do you have seizures? Shake his head, yes. In the meantime, other family had stopped by. Isaac and Josiah got out of the van because they're guys and they got to be a part of stuff, you know. If there's threatening tornado weather, we are not in the basement. We are outside looking for the tornado. They just had to be part of the adventure, okay. And there was just so much, so much injury to this young man. My brother-in-law, my sister and brother-in-law, my mom and dad, they stopped also and were pulled off to the side. And then I crawled in the cab with this young man and, and, uh, and I was trying to attend to the wound that was in his, uh, that was at his head. And, um, and, uh, I remember there was this battle that started inside of me. And it was, it was this, it was like, maybe I should pray for him. And then I was like, no. You know, there's an ambulance on the way. Uh, police officer had actually stopped. He was along the way. We're, we're good. We're good. But there was this battle. I was like, no, you're a believer. You know, let's stop. Let's pray for him. You need to pray for him right now. And so I remember specifically, as though it was just a couple minutes ago, even today, I can remember just laying my hand on his shoulder. And I remember the sweat coming through his body and his, just the, the, the warmth of his body through that uniform. And, uh, and silently, I just prayed, and I just like, my prayer was this, Lord, I pray that you would spare this young man's life. I pray that you would help him to see another day so that, Lord Jesus, he could come into contact with somebody that would share the gospel with him so that he would know you. End of prayer. That's all. Just gave it to the Lord. There was a darkness in that cab. 
there was a spiritual darkness in that cab that I, I couldn't explain. I didn't understand it at the time, but I felt it. And it was as though God had sort of taken the veil away and he said, Tim, here is, I want to show you what I see every day throughout the world. Not just in your little time right here. I see this stuff all over the world. People that are hurt and hurting. I see it every day. At about the time I'd finished praying, I looked down near his feet and I noticed that there was a gun and it concerned me because I was afraid that he was going to come to and kick the gun and it would go off. So I was trying to get the attention of the the officer who had stopped and let him know about that. And it was about that same time that um, he got a burst of energy. I don't know where the energy came from. It was just adrenaline and uh, never did open his eyes, but he came to. And as he came to, and please hang with me during this story because there is hope. There's good things at the end of this story. But as he came to and started to flail all around and, you know, I have some of his own blood on my hands, um, he started screaming and shouting and cursing at the top of his lungs. I want to die. I want to kill myself. I want to die. I want to die. I want to kill myself as loud as he could. And the boys are outside the truck, and I'm inside the truck. And I thought he was having a seizure, and I didn't know exactly what was happening, except it became very clear at that moment what his intentions were and how he was in the situation he was in at that moment. And I realized that I didn't just come upon an accident, but I came upon somebody who had, who had tried to take their life. And that the very wounds that I was ministering to were the wounds that were self-inflicted. And as I was trying to get out of that cab, my brother-in-law, big guy, was trying to get into that cab to get control of the gun. And here is the reality that I didn't know that I was experiencing until December of 2009 when my mom and my sister suggested this, this whole post-traumatic stress thing. And it was this. It wasn't a matter of I was afraid that something might happen. It was a matter of there were three things that I knew were going to happen, and one of them was going to happen. I just didn't know which, and that was my reality in that moment. The first thing was that he would get control of that gun, and he would finish what he had started right in front of my face. The second thing was that he would get control of that gun, and it would be me in front of my children and my family. And the third thing was, all I could think about was, Sorry, Isaac and Josiah outside that truck and my family that I had brought into a dangerous situation thinking I could help. And I brought my family into danger. So as I got out of the truck, I, I just, you know, I felt like some, one of those army movies, like, everybody get down. Everybody hit the, hit the ground. But I did. I, said, I told my mom and dad and the rest, I said, go back. Get in the van. He's got a gun. I told my boys, I said, get down on the ground. There's a gun. An ambulance finally came. And uh, they took the young man away. And um, uh, the officer came over and said, fill out all these papers, will you? 
And I filled out all the papers like this, you know, filling out, trying to figure out how to write my name. And they took him off. He was still alive at the time. Took him off. And um, Isaac broke down. Josiah felt sick to his stomach as though he was going to throw up. We didn't until that moment when we knew what we'd come into. And then we got in the van. I asked Liz to drive. I couldn't drive for a while. And she drove all the way back from West Virginia. And as we did that, we made that trip back. I got up the next morning and I went to work very next day. And I pretended like a guy does. It's all good. I'm good. I'll be good. Make me stronger. I'm going to move on. Unfortunately, my world unraveled. And by the end of 2009, my world was not in a good place. As I went back to work, I started to have flashbacks. Isaac, whenever he'd see a red truck, he'd be instantly back to that moment. For me, the flashbacks were related to when I'd ever see, uh, whenever I would see someone in, an off, in a uniform. So if we went into a restaurant, there was a uniformed officer. I had a hard time with that. Sometimes I had to leave. Sometimes it just made me feel sick. Sometimes I started to shake again. Um, that lasted for a, a good year and a half, something like that. So as I went back to work, I started to isolate myself. I, I, had, I had no patience. I didn't care to joke around with you. You come to me with a joke, you want to socialize. I didn't care. I didn't care that you didn't have enough pencils in your classroom. I tried to care, but I didn't care because it was so trivial because life was so much more important now than it had ever been before. And you're coming to me and you're crabbing about pencils. I had no patience for it. I was very impatient with the superficial things of life. And I was, I was left as a broken person. So here we are at the, at the start of launching Mercy Hill Church, which I'm anticipating and excited about. And I'm, I'm worthless. I can barely get up the stairs when we were in that upper room in the other building, the first building that God provided for us. I could barely get up the stairs. And here I am. I just wanted to be a part of this, this new church plant. And I had nothing to offer except just to be there and be a warm body. Now, looking back on some of that, I have spiritual meat to share with you today. Have you ever had these times, maybe not that story, but have you ever had these deserts in your life where you go, it's really dry. I'm not sure that God is there and I'm not sure that he's really hearing me. I did some counseling, Christian counseling, which was, you know, which is, it was a biblical principle. You know, there's this biblical principle about counseling that brings things into the light and that the truth in time will set us free. But we're not good about that. People of God, we need to bring things into the light. Men especially, we need to bring things into the light because when we bring it into the light of Jesus and his truth shines upon that, it's the truth that sets us free. The truth of our lives, the truth of your life, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever the truth of your life is, hidden or not, has to be taken to the loving one who called himself the way, the truth, and the life in John fourteen six? This is where healing begins. And this is where healing goes to a whole new level. We can do what we can do in our own strength, but we need Jesus. 
Church, you need Jesus. We need the Lord Jesus. So what did I start to do? In the time of healing, I took out my wallet, my spiritual wallet, and I opened it up, and I started making withdrawals out of my spiritual wallet. So the title of this message is, What's in Your Wallet? I like that. What's in your wallet? What's in your spiritual wallet? I realize that, do you ever do that? Do you ever go, like, go through your wallet or your purse sometimes and, and uh, you, you realize like there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. Like I could have been using that card. I could have a free haircut by now if I just like pulled that card out. Or like I could have been using that CVS card and swiping it. There's so much stuff in there and it's like, but I'm okay. And that's exactly what we do with the Lord Jesus. We're like, Lord, I'm okay. My life's okay. In fact, I'm doing good. I'll come and get you when I really need you. And he's like, no, to live like that is to live in your own strength daily. I meant for you to live above and beyond and in my power, not in your own strength and your own power. I want to give you something that's, that's even going to surprise you that you didn't even know was in your wallet. Sometimes those are good surprises, you know. I remember going fishing when I was a, when I was a kid. I was just a little guy. We were on the pier. It was just my dad and I and nothing, getting nothing. Nothing, nothing. I'm trying, trying, nothing. I gave up finally. And I went over and looked at everybody else's buckets and they had fish. And I'm like, man, I come back. All of a sudden I got one on there. I'm pulling it in. I'm like, wow, what an awesome surprise. Well, the surprise was, I found out many years later, that my dad had caught the fish and he put it on my hook. (laughs) But I didn't care. It was a beautiful surprise. And you know what? The Lord Jesus does that sometimes. The Holy Spirit surprises us. So we can put spiritual deposits into our purses and our wallets. But sometimes we open them up and and there's things in there we didn't expect because the Holy Spirit meets us in ways we never expected in the midst of our crisis. So here's the things. I want to share four things. These are really short because I know know, you're going to start smelling meat coming through the windows and stuff. So i got to hang with me. Here's the things. And some of the things I'm going to share with you, they've been there all along. But again, I took that too comfortable attitude. God, I got it covered. First thing, God's people. What helped me in the midst of that to really heal? God's people. Oh, man. People go to other people who love the Lord Jesus. Do the work that you need to do. If, if you're in that crisis situation, you need to go to a counselor or an expert in some area, but go to people who love the Lord Jesus in your life and in the dry times and the hurtful times of your life. Go to people who love the Lord Jesus. I need to be with and to hear from people who love the Lord. And for me, that was Liz, you know, walking alongside me, loving the Lord Jesus and loving me at the same time and my boys and my mom and my dad, my other family members. It was my life share group. I encourage you, if you're not involved in a life share group, get in there. Get in there and go and be with other people who love the Lord Jesus. There's there's nothing perfect about life share groups, but it's just other people who are trying to love the Lord together and offer themselves up to the Lord Jesus and other members of the body of Christ that are here today that have walked alongside Liz and I in this. Go to God's people. Who do you go to? You know, who, who are you going to call? <laughs> who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, yourself? Who are you going to call? Go to the Lord's people. He's, he's put them there for you. 
people who love Jesus. Secondly, I got, I got back into God's Word in a way I hadn't before. Remember when you're comfortable? Yeah, like, I'll read a psalm today. I'm good to go. I'm on my way. I'm out of here. I'm doing good. I went to God's Word, and I opened it, and I sought out. You should see the psalms in my Bible. Man, I might as well just underline the whole thing, but I just got so many underlines of David. Two things about God's Word. I saturated myself in His Word. I just opened it and poured my heart out every moment I got. At work, after work, before work, I saturated myself in God's Word. At 2 o'clock in the morning when I got up and I couldn't sleep and I knew that sleep wasn't going to come, I was online and I was, I was meditating on His Word. But it's not just enough to saturate ourselves with God's Word. We have to submit ourselves to God's Word. Because what is God's Word? It's His promises. God would not lie to us. God is good and His promises are sure and they're true. And I decided to take Him at His Word. So I saturated myself in His Word and I submitted myself to His Word. Psalm 34, 18 says this. It promises this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and He saves the crushed in spirit. What kind of a God is there that's like that? What kind, there is no other God like this that's near to us. And, and he doesn't take it away. He didn't, he didn't take anything away from me. He just said, I promise that I am near to you. You have a crushed spirit, your broken heart. I am near to you. I'm the kind of God that is near to those who have broken hearts and are crushed in spirit. There's a song by Shane and Shane that says this, just a little phrase. It says, be near, O God. Be near, O God of us. Because your nearness is to us our good. There's nothing in there that says, because I'm going to take it away and snap my fingers and magically make all the mess go away. But I know that his nearness in the middle of it was to my good. And I started to desire more than him taking and fixing it. I started to desire his presence more than him fixing it. That's, That's not the way of the world. Psalm 27, verses 13 to 14 says this. This was, this was one that my mom and dad shared with me when I couldn't get to church one day and Liz took the kids Mercy Hill and we were left and we just sang a few songs, read some scripture and prayed together in, in the house because I couldn't get anywhere. And this was one that they shared with me. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not only will we see the goodness of the Lord someday, But David said, I believe I'll look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living now while I'm still here. So wait, he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He will show up. And you'll find yourself saying, the other stuff didn't go away. But the Lord Jesus showed up. Praise God. Third thing, desperate prayer. My prayers weren't very well crafted during this time in my life. I didn't have a lot of these and thous and well-written prayers. My prayers were messy, but they were honest cries to the Lord in the midst of all that I was living. You know, um, God desires this of us, to be honest with him. You can't read the Psalms and not see how David was totally, totally honest with the Lord and how he was feeling about things at different times and, and his struggle. You know, the writer Gary Smalley said this, and you've heard people say this to you. They've said, um, God will meet you where you are. 
That's a good thought. But I like where Gary Smalley takes it. He takes it one step further and he says this, God will meet you where you are, but not where you pretend to be. It doesn't help us to pretend where we are before the Lord. He knows anyway. Why are we going to do that? Or pretend with each other. Oh, God will meet us where we are, but not where we pretend to be. So David says this. He says in Psalm 10, 1, he says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? Do you ever pray like this? I was. I was praying it every day. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2 says this, and doesn't this sound like the Lord Jesus himself? He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Don't you see what I'm going through? Oh, Lord, you seem so far away. You ever feel like that? You ever understand what that what David felt like? This same David, though, who wrote these words is the same David who wrote this. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you've healed me. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Amen. If nothing else, in your desperate prayer, I like Josh was reminding me of it today. It was like Josh was here. I don't know where you went, Roxanne, but Josh was sitting here. And in the midst of all the worship and the songs, I just heard Josh go, Mom! Looking back, that, that was me. I was Jesus. Oh, Jesus. That's all I could get out. If nothing else, just call on the name of Jesus. His name is powerful and it's beautiful. Just call. You don't have to get this big, beautifully formed prayer out. Just call. Call on Jesus. These were Tom songs. The songs worship team today, they were, I don't know how God did that, but he just did this today with those songs. The last thing is praise. Praise? Why would I, why would I want to praise God for that? Why would, why would we want to praise God for the junk in our lives? He's, has he seen my marriage? Has he seen what's happening with my, my son or my daughter? Has he seen what's happening with the health in my family? I, you know, don't ask me to praise God. Praise is powerful. I didn't know the power of praise. Words of praise that rise up, not just after the trial is over, because it may not be that um, everything gets back to normal, because sometimes healing doesn't come, and sometimes the cancer seems to have won, and sometimes, you know, fill in the blank for yourself. Choose church, choose to praise God and to affirm God's character in the very middle of the mess. When we were at that first church building, I can remember specifically, Adam was leading worship, and I remember standing there, barely able to get there that day. And I remember that there was something that started to well up inside, deep inside of me. And it came here, and it, uh, it came to my throat. And I chose to, to speak it out in faith. And it, it was words of praise. It was words of praise. And pretty soon it got here, and it started coming out of my mouth, and Liz looked over at me, it's like, everything okay over there? You all right? And then it came out, and it came out louder. And pretty soon I sort of, in a good way, disrupted, <clears throat> disrupted worship. Not really contributed to it, but the Lord did that. The Lord did that, and all I did was cooperate. 
Because I realized that as I spoke out in faith, here's what I said. Here's the things that I said. I didn't, I didn't say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're pulling me through. This is, this is awesome. I'm so lucky that you're pulling through this. All I did is I just said, Lord Jesus, you're worthy of praise. Lord Jesus, you are good. No matter what I'm feeling or what I'm going through, you are good. You are a good God. You're worthy of praise. It doesn't matter what I'm going through or what I'm feeling. The character of God tells me that you're worthy of my praise to you in the midst of this trial. You're a good God. I love you. You're a good God. And that flowed out from me. Motivated by the Holy Spirit. Still, I will praise you, Lord. This is not natural. And from the world's point of view, I wouldn't ask any of us to glibly praise God. Don't do that. Don't go around going, hey, praise God, praise God. Praise God really truly from our hearts because we mean it. Why? Because there's power in praise. You will rattle the cages of hell. You will find the power of the enemy defeated in your life when we praise God in the midst of the desert or the trial or the crisis or the cab of a red truck. There's a song that goes like this, and you've heard it by Casting Crowns. I'm reading just a part of it. It says this, I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away Stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. As the thunder rolls, I barely hear you whisper through the rain, I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. And I'll praise you in the storm. I will lift up my hands, for for you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You've never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I'm still going to praise you. I'm going to praise you in the storm. The man who calmed the storm and the sea was not just a man. He was God himself, loving us so much that he came and died for our sins, covered with his blood. So that if we come to him by faith and put our trust in him and him alone, not ourselves, not our good works, nothing else. He will come to live in us and through his Holy Spirit, our world will be rocked. Our world will be changed. We will have the true and living God whom we can now call friend and father living inside of us. We become adopted into his family to be a child of his, to enjoy his powerful presence now and then one day in eternity as well. The one who created us and loves us with an everlasting love. You know, I could have shared this story and gotten to the end and say, hey, everything's all better now, and praise God, it's all over. Some of the songs we sang, I was thinking about some of those songs, like, I, I'm so good with some of those songs, like, after everything's over and, and things going good. I'm really good about some of those praise songs. It's in the midst when I'm really challenged. Some of the things linger on for me. And as I close, I just want to share a couple points. Some of the things linger on for me. Every daily, daily, every day, I still have a hard time breathing. Um, I'm a little gun shy about certain things. I don't like surprises as much as I used to. But God's healing that even. He's taking that. And he's healing it. He continues to do that. But I'll tell you this. I never would have thought I would have said it was worth it. 
but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade the intimacy I have with the Lord now over my comfortable ways with him prior to the accident. That goes against all rational thinking, but I wouldn't trade the intimacy with the Lord Jesus now that I have. I want to be so much more than a normal believer. How about you guys? Amen. So how about you? Where are you today? Oh, by the way, can I share one piece of this before I close? One really important piece is I, I had my brother-in-law call me. It was one of the first nights of good sleep that I'd had in a while. But he called me and he said, Tim, you know, I called down to West Virginia. I just, I don't know if you want to know what really happened. This was like several months later with, with that young man. But And I said, no, I don't. I, I really don't want to know. I'm just starting to heal up and get better. And he was like, um, he didn't listen. He said, okay, but I wanted you to know that he survived. Not only did he survive, he said, but the doctors, they gave him a thumbs up. They gave him a thumbs up. I don't know, but I just think God's put somebody in his path. to just. I hope that we see him in glory someday with the Lord Jesus. So how about you? Where are you today? So maybe you're a believer with faith in Christ, but you feel a little insignificant in your ministry to others. I want to say this really clearly. Your insignificance is a lie from the enemy. Your insignificance is a lie from the enemy. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be up in front on Sundays preaching or leading worship or across the sea in a foreign country. God may do nothing more than ask you to turn around and go back to the red truck or to turn around to the person who's angry and bitter at work or that is ostracized and alone. I I don't know what he'll ask of you. But as God prompts you, say yes. Say, yes, I don't know how it's supposed to go, Lord. I don't know what you want me to do or say, but you're prompting me to go and speak with this person or do something for this person. Say yes. Say yes. Don't ignore his promptings. You are the person that he's placed with your family and your coworkers and your neighbors. Today is a call of faith to you to respond and turn around and be bold in the Lord to go and get them and get messy with them for the sake of the Lord. Maybe you're a believer here today and there's been trauma or crisis in your own life and in your own family, in your own marriage, whatever it looks like, I don't know. It may be really big or it may be small. But you know what? As believers, guess what? Even the small stuff is spiritual battleground for us. Take out the gifts and the resources from that spiritual wallet. Start looking through that stuff you haven't looked at for a while and apply them in faith. In fact, we should be doing this daily. The Lord has a deep desire for a breakthrough in your life. He doesn't want any of us to live a normal Christian life. And finally, maybe you do not know the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've heard of him, you've talked about him, you hear people talking about him and using his name when they swear, you read about him, you've even gone to many, many churches that talk about Jesus over the course of your life, but you're never, maybe you never really asked and put your faith in the Lord Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Well, this is a call to you today to put your faith in him I don't know what drove that young man to the desperate place where he was. It could, have been, it could have been anything. All I know is that he got to see another day where I pray that he got to answer yes to the call of his Lord and Savior. 
the, Lord, the word says this, today is the day of salvation, and all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And his word also says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. We are, each one of us here, sinners. Some may be sinners trying to save themselves by doing good and keeping God happy. And some may be sinners who, needing a Savior, have been forgiven and saved by grace. People of God, go forth. Listen to the Lord. Take these things out of your wallet. There's more stuff in there than even's listed here. Get your spiritual wallet out and say, yes, Lord, every single day. I want to live a radical life for you. I want to obey your promptings. I want to turn around and I want to go toward the red truck. And I want to bring people to know Jesus above all else. Let's pray, Lord. I just thank you. I don't know what this message or this story means for other people, Lord. You know. Your Holy Spirit does the work. I ask that you would just take your word and the truth of it. Seal it, Lord. I ask that you, there would be a breakthrough in people's lives. Whatever the bondages and the deserts are and the wilderness that we're in right now, that we will say yes to you, Lord Jesus. And we will embrace all of who you are. And we will say that above all else, that we want your presence in the midst of it. Even if it doesn't go away, I will praise you, God. And let us rattle the cages of hell itself, Lord Jesus, as we praise your name in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen.